Macro Podcast number 98, special leopard edition for October 29th, 2007. Sponsored by MYOB Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Breen. Those of you who religiously follow our release schedule may be a little perplexed that the podcast is coming out on Monday rather than Wednesday. You can blame that on Leopard. Obviously, the latest release of macOS 10 is big news, and we wanted to get that big news to you in short order. Given that, I'm dispensing with the news and commentary, except to say that there's a very cool one-button solution to installing third-party apps on your iPhone and iPod Touch that's just been released. Dan Morin covers that at iPhone Central, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But back to the topic at hand, Leopard. On today's show, we'll have two interviews with Mac Luminaries. The first is with senior editor and Lord Godhead of Mac Gems, Dan Frakes. He and I will talk about the effect Leopard has had on some of our favorite third-party applications. We then follow up with a roundtable discussion featuring editorial director Jason Snell and senior editors Kelly Turner and Rob Griffiths. We've all had the opportunity to live with Leopard for longer than most folks, as we had access to Leopard's Goldmaster. And yes, developers, we're sorry and we feel your pain. And since we have had Leopard for so long, I thought we'd talk about what it's like using Mac OS X 10.5 after the initial great googly moogly glow has worn off. I think you'll find it fascinating. But before we get there, Dan Frakes and I talk Mac Gems. I'm Skyped in with senior editor Dan Frakes, who is Macworld's resident gem meister. And that means he writes the Mac Gems column, both online and in the magazine. Thanks for joining me, Dan. Sure, no problem, Chris. Now, you may have heard that this new operating system came out, this uh, Leopard. Oh, oh, is it out already? Yeah, yeah. It, that came out, uh, I don't know, Friday or something. Oh. Um, and it's typical with new operating system releases that uh, Apple looks at what third parties have done and they say, gee, that's a good idea. Why don't we do that? And <laughs> unfortunately, it means that some third-party applications that we know and love um, may not be necessary or because of changes to Leopard may no longer work. So I know you're working on a couple of pieces for Macworld um, mm-hmm. about gems that uh, that may have been obviated by Leopard. And I wanted to talk a little bit about some of that stuff. Sure. So which one am I going to cry the most over losing? The most um... – you know, I think for the most part, it's actually which one are you going to cry the least over using because the idea here is that Apple's improved the OS in ways that you no longer need third-party software to do things that you just absolutely had to do before. So so it's really a matter of which one am I going to be the most relieved that finally it's part of the operating system. Good. That's a much more positive way to look at it. Yeah. So let's let's run down a few of those. Well, for example, all the spotlight substitutes. I, I, I don't even know how many there are. We've covered three in Mac Gems over the years, Easy Find, not light and Moru, but there were scores of other ones. I bet you could go and find 20 on version tracker and Mac update that supposedly gave you better control over spotlight or let you find things that spotlight couldn't let you find. Now, finally, I mean, as you've written yourself, um, in, uh, in, on Macworld, uh, spotlight is so much better than it was in, in, in tiger. It's not even funny. And so for a lot of people, you're not going to need to have some third party utility on your Mac just to be able to find a file that has the word the in it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say those are probably the the, the biggest the biggest one out of the gate, um, and you'll still they're they're still useful in some ways. For example, some really complex searches, um, Apple just hasn't made it easy still 
in uh, Leopard to, to find in Spotlight. But I'd say for for you know ninety percent of the users out there who are just trying to find you know simple files on their Mac, Spotlight is so much better now that you don't really need third party software. Yeah, I have to agree with you that, um, and I don't feel so bad about slagging this product because I, I used it a lot, but I loved EasyFind. Um, and Devon Technologies made no money on it whatsoever, so I don't think they're going to feel terrible about losing um, support for it. But I haven't used it since I've, I've moved to Leopard, so I am glad yeah. to see that Spotlight has improved so much. Definitely. Now, what about uh, iChat? Because Apple has put a bunch of new um, features into that thing, and I know there were lots of third-party add-ons for that. And uh, how about – how's it going to look now? Well, for things like um, Chat FX was a big one. That that was a way in the old version of iChat where you could get special effects behind your uh, special effects added to your image, kind of like photo booth effects. Um, you could put a background behind you, of a, you know, a beach, so you could pretend you're chatting at the beach. You could share your screen with other people. Uh, you could show a slideshow of photos. Um, these kind of sound familiar nowadays mm-hmm. uh, with with Leopard because these are now all things that are part of Leopard. There's maybe a few little special effects that Chat Chat FX offer that aren't in Leopard, but for the most part, you really don't need it anymore. Um, similarly, with uh, Show Maxter was another u- uh, useful utility where you could have media that you wanted to show to other people, and it would actually you could drag, for example, a picture into your iChat window, and it would show up to the other person. Uh, these kind of things are all built into the OS now. So uh, there's a lot of these little iChat things that are no longer necessary. Um, Chax was another one, although this is a partial. Uh, the articles I'm writing for Macworld for the coming week are going to be on on uh, shareware, software, add-ons that are are sort of or all um, uh, no longer needed with, with Leopard. And Chax is one of those that's partially. And the big reason for that is that iChat finally has tab chat. So you can chat with several different people in different windows and have them all show up in tabs in a single window. Uh, and before that, you used to have to use Chax to get that. And now you get it within the OS. Uh, although Chax still has lots of other features that make it worthwhile. And uh, Rob Griffiths and I were just talking about we hope that it's now it's going to be updated so that you can still use it in, in Leopard because you don't realize all the things it gave iChat until you don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to Spotlight for a second, I know one of the new features of Spotlight is that you can launch applications. Does this mean that I'm going to get rid of LaunchBar and, and the countless other launchers out there? No, actually, I, I mentioned this in the articles that Butler, LaunchBar, and Quicksilver, uh, for a lot of people – let me back up a second. For those who don't know what they are, they're a way to quickly launch an application by pressing a keyboard shortcut. For example, Command Space. Funny how that sounds familiar as well. Mm. Um, type in the first couple of letters of the application, and it shows up, and then you hit return, and it launches. Now, these utilities can all do way more things than this. They can launch scripts. They can find files. They can control iTunes. They can do just, you know, Rob's written tons of stuff on what Butler alone can do. Um, and I think the people over at, uh, what's that, the organizational site, Merlin Man site? Uh, 43 it, folders. Yeah, doesn't he have a bunch of stuff on Quicksilver, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the for the advanced users, you know these things are still going to be worth their weight in gold. But for those people like myself um, who ninety percent of the time use it to launch an application, I've been impressed by how well the new Spotlight works. Uh, it it really does find stuff much quicker than before, and the the best application match is always the first result. So if I want to launch iChat, I just uh, type in ICH, and iChat is immediately there within like a half second, and I can hit return and launch it. For those kind of people, people who mainly use launchers to launch applications, um, you know, Spotlight in Leopard is 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 good enough for a lot of people, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, what about Spaces? This is another big feature in Leopard, and uh, 
I know there were other virtual desktop uh, managing programs out there. And those going away? Well, we haven't covered too many virtual desktop apps in Mac Gems, but you're right. There are a lot of them out there. The big advantage for Spaces is for one, it's it's built into the OS. Um, two, it looks really nice, and three, it's very easy to use as virtual desktop systems go. Uh, so I think for the the big market for Spaces is going to be people who haven't really used uh, virtual desktops at all or haven't used them much, and they suddenly discover it's part of the OS and they and they kind of catches on with them. I, I think for the power users, the people who've been using virtual desktops for years, there's still a market out there because Spaces. As good as it is, it has limitations. It doesn't work the way a lot of other virtual desktop managers do, um, and there are things it just can't do compared to some of the, the higher-end uh, third-party software. So I think there's still a market. Um, there's just not as much of a market for the basic ones that were sort of the, the, Mac, the Mac way before. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the, some of the features that were brought to Leopard and people thought, oh, this is going to be so cool, and then they didn't exactly pan out the way people thought. Are there some 30 third-party apps that are still going to be a better choice than what Apple's brought you? Well, you know, I think a big one, and you know, I haven't gone through these enough to decide which one I'm going to be recommending, but I think a big third-party uh, utility is going to be ways to access your, your files from the dock. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, there, there's the new stacks feature, which if you've got a folder, will give you sort of a pop-up view of the contents of that folder, but that's all you get. You can click on one of those items to open it, but you can't delve down into the subfolders. Whereas in Tiger and earlier, if you put a folder in your dock and you uh, held the mouse cursor over it, it would give you a hierarchical menu of that folder's contents, and you can navigate to anything in that folder or any subfolder. And so, people, a lot of people are complaining now because they're, you know, they're, they've suddenly lost that feature. So, I think we're going to see a lot of utilities that sort of died out in in older versions of the Mac OS come back because now that feature's gone again. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, those and things like. Uh, like Finder Pop, for example, that would give you a pop-up menu in your menu bar where you could put whatever folders you want and get hierarchical access to their contents. I think that's going to be a big popular feature in Leopard now that, that Stacks has done away with that feature of the dock. So, so there are definitely things like that. And then, of course, all the controversy over translucent menu bars and the new dock appearance. We're going to see you know, scores of little utilities that say, click here to get your old dock back or mm-hmm. click here to get a white menu bar. Yeah, well, speaking of appearances, I'm not exactly thrilled with the look of the new folders, and and uh, I like the icons that they show you exactly what the document is, but the folders do nothing for me. Is anybody working on some way to to tart up folders and, and icons? My guess is the candy bar from uh, the folks over. It's Panic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Panic. Uh, the candy bar in the past has been used to let you kind of redo the whole interface. You can replace all your system icons and uh, and just gen- general user level icons with. Uh, Themes, you know, themed icons or custom icons of your own making. And they've said that they're working on a version for Leopard right now. And I'm guessing that a lot of people are going to download that because like you, I kind of, I, I think the new look is interesting. It's kind of got a, like a sketch pad-ish designy look, mm-hmm. you know, but it's kind of flat. It's kind of boring. And like you said, you no longer get custom icons. Um, every, every folder pretty much looks the same with the exceptions being, the standard system icons, you know, for applications or utilities or user folders, where the um, the, the you get a little etched version of the say the, an A for applications on it, mm-hmm. which is you know is fine if you if you choose to have your your folders open in, in icon view with huge icons, but when they're all sitting in the dock, it's it's hard to make sense of them. Right. Well, I know you're in a rush to to write. Both these pieces, and I think you're working on like seven other things at the same time. But before I let you go, I wanted to ask. Um, 
any other sort of big third-party apps that you think are, we're going to throw away now? Well, there are going to be a lot of little utilities for Safari that are no longer necessary, or at least only partially so. For example, uh, things like um, uh, Safari Extender and, and Saft and Show, or what, what's that other one? Um, starts with an Safari Stand. Mm-hmm. These are all things that add lots of little features to Safari. And some of these are no longer necessary because Safari Now, as those of you who use the beta of Safari 3 know, you've got tabs that, that can be moved around, tabs that can be moved off into new windows. It can remember uh, the last window you close if you accidentally close it. It reminds you if you – or gives you a warning, I should say, uh, that, that, hey, you're about to close a window with five tabs. Are you sure you want to do this? Uh, and you can recover from a crash if, you're, if Safari crashes. There's a menu item that says, I think it's like restore all windows from last session, that will bring up all the windows and tabs in those windows that were open before Safari crashed. So a lot of these things that you know, our Firefox users are probably out there saying, oh, but Firefox has had that for years. Well, Safari hasn't, and some of us who like Safari have been aching for these for, for a long time. So there are a lot of new things in Safari that are, that, um, are, are welcome changes. Now, there's some things that simply aren't going to work in Safari, right? Or even, or, or hacksy kind of things that, because of the way Leopard is constructed, for example, I don't think you can use Saft anymore. It, it requires some kind of architecture that just isn't there. Well, from what I read, um, the people over at, uh, who make TextMate, mm-hmm. they, they had a, a little expose on this earlier today where, uh, the issue here is that a lot of these hacks used input managers, which is a way for, for applications to draw on code and for code to be sort of injected into other applications to add features. Um, the, the problem with input managers is that they're, they're security risks. Someone could, you know, in theory, install an input manager without your knowledge, and then it could uh, compromise your system. So now they've got certain rules on input managers. For example, um, the uh, there's only one place that can, input managers can be installed, and that's in a in an admin level admin level folder. So, for example, um, your daughter who doesn't, I would assume, have administrative access on your <laughs> Macs can't install an input manager. Um, and at the same time, a, a root user, the 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 system level user, cannot. Uh, load an input manager, which means that there's no way for for uh, an input manager exploit to get access to the entire system. But from what I understand of this, there are still ways for this to work and for input managers to work. They just require a very specific uh, setup. So it remains to be seen if some of these input manager uh, vendors are going to be able to exploit that. And I, I mean exploit in a useful way rather than a mm-hmm. than a than a compromise way uh, to get things like Symbol and Saft and and, and some of these other plugins to work. So we'll, we'll see, but it looks like they're actually trying to figure out a way to do this. Oh, cool. Good. Well, uh, where can people look for your articles about Leopard and third-party applications? We are going to be posting them this week on the MacGems weblog, which go to the MacWorld homepage, and there's a MacGems link there. Uh, and there should be a couple of them up um, throughout the week. Great. Well, thanks very much for your insight, Dan, and joining me on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Chris. And now before our Living with Leopard Roundtable, a word from our sponsor, MYOB. 1989, David Hasselhoff was dancing on the Berlin Wall, Michael Jordan was in search of his first title, and the brand new Macintosh SE had four megabytes of RAM. 1989 was also the year MYOB introduced their award-winning software for Mac small businesses. 17 years later, MYOB is still empowering small business owners to manage their customers, vendors, inventory, payroll, and, of course, their accounting. To learn how MYOB can help your small business, visit myob-us.com. MYOB. Mind your own business. Smarter. 
And now, Living with Leopard. I'm Skyped in today with editorial director Jason Snell and senior editors Rob Griffiths and Kelly Turner from Macworld. And it's it's all leopard all the time here because uh, leopard just came out on on Friday. This is Monday, and uh, we've actually had the opportunity to live with leopard for a while. And because we have, I thought it would be a good opportunity to sit down and talk with people who've used it and see kind of what our impressions are after the sheen has worn off that we've actually used this thing for a while. And I think one place we can start immediately is uh, is going behind the curtain and to talk a little bit about iChat and recording uh, a conference over iChat because this is supposed to be one of the new features of Leopard. And uh, Jason, can you give us uh, general feedback on how that went? Yeah, uh, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. we, we tried to make a uh, an all leopard uh, video or audio chat, which is not a new feature, but the, there's supposed to be improved audio quality, and uh, it didn't work. We got really weird echoes, and um, I'm not quite sure. The, the thing about iChat is it can be so variable that who knows whether it's um it's something that works uh, for nobody or whether it just didn't work for us today. But it definitely bears uh, some investigation. Yeah, it does because we got things like very weird audio artifacts. We're getting echo from everybody, and, and of course, we did the usual thing of saying, "Oh, everyone's got headphones on." Mike, no, that wasn't the problem. So who knows what it was? But uh, on the first launch, it uh, it barely got off the uh, the launch pad, and then it exploded. So we're back to Skype, and I'm on a G5, and I'm running Tiger because uh, that's what we're doing. So um, anyway, so we've had some time to look at the. Uh, at Leopard now, and we've had a little longer than some other people because we had the GM. And now the sheen has worn off. What do you guys think generally are some of the features that have stood out the test of time, which would be about 10 days, and then others that have been promoted by Apple, and and yet we kind of go, huh, as as in iChat recording. Uh, Kelly, let's start with you. Uh, I think, you know, the things I notice most are maybe small touches, um, for example, I really like that the calendar icon now shows you the real date, regardless of whether you've opened it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's much less confusing. Um, I also, and this is a silly thing, I love that in your screensaver, you can put the clock on it now. Because uh, I use all of my photos as like a, um, kind of a revolving photo frame all the time. So it's on. And now I can see the time, too. Uh, so, I mean, those are small things that don't get played up very much by Apple that um, I think are really neat. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of things in, in Leopard that they haven't talked of. You know, they're not part of that 300-plus features, but they are little refinements that they've made. Like, as you say, the iCal icon where it would never show the proper date, it, it was so thorn in the side of people. And it wasn't a big deal, but still, it was like, come on, can't you just make this work? So I think it is nice that they make that work. I'm also really excited about screen sharing. I predict this will help save me hours with my mother in <laughs> trying to help her figure out how to do things. Yeah, I wrote a piece about that last week, and it's it's so true. A lot of the Leopard features I looked at are convenience features where you think, this is really going to help me help somebody else. So I was glad to see that in there. Okay, so you like you like the little uh, refinements. So what uh, has struck you so far as being less than um, whelming? Uh, you know, I, I know other people are excited about spaces. I just... It's it's not my thing. I like my clutter, everything in front of me all the time. That's kind of how I work. I, if, if something is not on my screen at that moment, I forget it exists. Well, it's just as well that's an option, then. and at least they don't force yeah. you to use it. But exactly. 
But it is one of the major features they were playing up. It's like, oh, space is going to be so wonderful. And yeah, I think and it's going to be. I predict that it's the feature that I never use. Okay, good. Well, and that, that will become the theme of this portion of our, of our, uh, roundtable, the feature you will never use. Uh, Rob, what about you? Well, on the, on the good side, I mean, you're talking about the small touches, a, a very small thing, but when you rename a file in the finder now, it no longer selects the file extension. It puts the cursor right at the end of the file name. So you can just hit delete and type a new file name without worrying about tabbing over, arrowing over the, the extension. So that's definitely a small thing that makes a big difference in terms of usability. Um, you know, the grid spacing is back. For people that have icon view windows, you're able to change the grid size because it's always been huge in OS 10 compared to OS 9. You can finally condense it. And I don't keep a lot of windows in icon view, but for those that I do, it's nice to have it nice and small. Um, I did a lot of work, actually, over the weekend with uh, the new version of Automator, and in general, I, I love it. I mean, it's a great improvement over what we had in version 1.0. Um, you know, but if I were then to go into the don't-like side of my list, uh, it would also make that side, because I probably ran into two bugs that, you know, I spent a few hours trying to figure out if I was doing something wrong or if Automator really wasn't doing what I thought it should be doing. And uh, I got confirmation today that both things I thought it should do, it should have done. So, you know, that's a little frustrating. And that's probably, in terms of the downsides, there are just some, like, little things here and there where it looks like something wasn't finished or maybe it was pushed out the door a little quickly. And it's hard to put your finger on any of them, but, you know, Automator was the one that, that I got sort of exposed to over the weekend. Um, but you know, in general, I love it. I mean, I'm running it and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably with Kelly in the spaces camp. I, I found it actually interesting that they added spaces because, uh, at least in the general computing world, virtual desktops have never been something that 80% of computing users have used. It's more of a niche feature. And here OS 10 typically is kind of focused on things that are going to be used by a majority of the population. Um, and they've added spaces, which I, 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 I'm with Kelly. I mean, I might use it for a virtual machine in Fusion, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to use it regularly. So it's interesting they chose this as a major focus item. Yeah, I've found that with spaces, I use it in certain places and not others. They're actually specific computers. I use it on my laptop because my laptop does tend to get cluttered. However, I don't use it on, on my desktop machine because I've got two monitors and I don't need it. So right. um, I think in per- certain environments it makes sense to have it, but not in general use. And now, Jason, to you. Well, I'm going to go after having thrown iChat under the bus to start this conversation. <laughs> I am going to go back and rehabilitate it. I, I you know, we're we're not convinced about the audio uh, conference feature, but iChat really, there's so many good features in the new version of iChat, and I, I do rely on iChat all the time to to talk about stuff, uh, not just chatting with friends, but, uh, but, um, chatting about, you know, work stuff and, Hey, I turned this file in or, you know, lots of stuff like that. And, uh, tab chatting is now part of iChat. You don't have to install a hack to get tabs on, on iChat. Uh, it lets you log into multiple, um, aim accounts simultaneously, which is a long time coming, but I'm glad it's there. And there's some little cute features too. Um, one of my favorite little touches is the fact that when you are, uh, in a series of tabbed chats and somebody in one of your tabs says something, not only are you alerted to it, but a little bubble appears next to their name in the tab with the first couple of words of what they said, which is a really nice touch. Um, and then in terms of the feature that I'll never use, I, I understand what they're saying about spaces. I, I am also not convinced that spaces is something that's going to be a real hardcore feature for most people. Um, but the feature that I um, have come to dislike severely is stacks which is useless. It, it, um, the, the demo that they showed, I mean, it's useful if you've got a, a folder with a very few number of items in it. 
uh, like the downloads folder where you're popping things off the top. But it, I've got folders that I used to keep in the dock that have hundreds of items in them or thousands of items because, remember, Spotlight means you can just throw things in a folder and not worry about it, right? Mm-hmm. Except except uh, Stacks is completely contrary to that, and I've had to um, basically fake my – uh, fake my folders back into the dock by making aliases of them and dragging them into the dock um, so that when I click on them, they open instead of showing me this ridiculous stack. Um, so I, I've, you know, stacks is a huge disappointment. And the one thing that I thought was a cool idea about stacks, which was dragging an arbitrary number of items into the dock and having it become a stack, um, didn't make it. That was something that they demoed. I think at WWDC, and it just it never made it in. So um, yeah, Stacks is is a, a kind of a loser. Uh, it's just it didn't work. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the and, more, oh, go ahead, Rob. I was just going to say to what Jason said, it, it would be one thing if they had added the Stacks capability on top of what we had, but they didn't. They took know? it. They took away the old functionality Ex- and replaced exactly. it with this thing that doesn't really work right in at least yeah. in the circumstances that we used to use that feature for. Right. Right. Now. What about Time Machine? I mean, this is the the marquee feature of the program. They've got the big Time Machine logo everywhere. It's on your it's, it's on your screen when you start up. It's on the box when you purchase the thing. How useful is this really in real life? I mean, are people who want to hang on to their backups for years and years going to depend on something like Time Machine, or is it really for more the casual user? It's uh, it's for the casual user, right? I mean, if if you if you got it together enough to run retrospect on your system, you're not the problem. The problem is that whatever eighty percent of people, ninety percent of people who don't back up regularly, that's what this that's what Time Machine is for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I I think for that market, it's going to do very well. I mean, it it I've been using it a lot uh, just in terms of testing and writing about it, and it it does what it says it's going to do. And again, it's it's kind of one of those areas that it's it's amazing. And and as I use it, there's just a couple of things that are sort of Interesting, you know, I don't know if the design decisions or if they were marketing decisions, but at least as far as I can tell, it will only work on your, your boot drive. And, and has anybody heard anything different than that? I mean, I hooked up a FireWire drive and it did not back that one up. So I, I think it is supposed to work with your internal drives if you've got more than one, but I haven't tried that yet. Um, but it doesn't work. I, I plugged in an iPod and it didn't want to back that up. Yeah, so I'm not sure if uh, I, I don't have it on the – I haven't tried running it on my machine with multiple internals, but it certainly didn't see. So if you're like a video producer and you keep an external hard drive uh, with data files on it, it doesn't look like it will back that up. And nor is there any way to tell Time Machine that you'd like to back that up short of putting OS ten on it and booting off of it. So I don't think it's going to fit everybody's needs, especially if they have multiple hard drives. And we'll have to test the internal and see if that does or does not do the trick. Uh, Dude, You've now made me less excited about Time Machine. <laughs> uh, so, but in terms of what it does with the internal drive, it really works uh, very well. I mean, I was able to go back in time, as they've demonstrated, and pull files out, and the, the Finder-like interface uh, makes it about as simple as it could be. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm one of those that definitely knows how to use the other backup programs, but there's something about the ease and convenience of clicking an icon, uh, you know, kind of flying back through space and time and uh, dragging the file want to the desktop and, and just having it appear there. It is, makes it uh, almost interesting to use. You know, it's no longer painful to restore a file from backup. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So I think they, I think they did a good job. I'm a little mystified with uh, some of the criticism I've seen of Time Machine because, you know, there's just a tendency among, especially people who are writing about this stuff for a living. They're very tech, techy people, and 
I think they turn their noses up sometimes at a feature that's really meant to be for people who are a little less technically savvy. And, and Time Machine gets some of that where people say, well, I would never want to use Time Machine because it doesn't make a bootable backup. It's like, well, okay, yes, it's not bootable. Um, but it's a backup and it's restorable. So what that means is if you're somebody whose time is so precious on and time on their computer is so precious that if your hard drive dies, you must immediately switch to a backup and restart and be up and working again. Time machine is not for you. However, what percentage of people are, is that person versus somebody who, you know, if their hard drive dies in the rare instance where it actually finally happens, they have to go down to the computer store, buy a drive, bring it home, format it, and restore off of their backup. You know, for most people, that's fine. And for the people, it, it's it's you know, time machine shouldn't be attacked because it's not this like super robust kind of thing. And and I think sometimes people. Um, are trying to defend a product like SuperDuper or Carbon Copy Cloner, and SuperDuper is a great product, but it's you know it's not Time Machine. It's different. It's a, and it does something different. And as somebody who used to use SuperDuper and has switched to Time Machine, I see the value of both. For me, I don't need a bootable backup drive available at all times, and I'd rather have the the uh, knowledge that uh, Time Machine's working every every hour and giving me a trail of old files versus my old super duper backup where, you know, every time I press the button, it would duplicate what I had then, but then all the stuff from, you know, previous days would get wiped out. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I do think there's room for both because I know under my current backup plan, it backs up once a day, but it's not going to get something that I've been working on for six hours. And that's the beauty of having time machine in there because I can have that done. Now, Kelly, you can push these cynics aside and, <laughs> and, and tell us what I mean, are you going to use Time Machine? Well, you know, I was really excited about Time Machine. I just need a drive for it. <laughs> I mean, you actually have to go out and uh, buy a drive to really take advantage of it. Yes, Leopard um, does not come with a giant hard drive, sadly. <laughs> if only. Um, but I guess the trick for me is that I actually keep my very massive. Uh, music and photo collection on an external hard drive um, so it doesn't clutter up my internal drive. And I guess this means that it won't back that up, which is the main thing that I would be excited about. Right. We'll have to see. We'll have to see whether whether it does or not. But yeah. I think it's, I mean, I think the idea is great. I, I never back anything <laughs> up. I'm terrible. It's, and I know I'm just asking for disaster and it's going to come and I'll be very sad. Uh, so this is, you know, I think this is great. Yeah, and I think what they did a really good job of is that it doesn't, um, you know, it runs every hour, and yet even on this little mini, which I've been using to test, it's not like uh, my system comes to a grinding halt while the hourly backup is going on. It's done a really good job at uh, not letting the user experience get, you know, destroyed by the fact there's a backup running every hour. So I'm pretty impressed by that. Yeah. Okay, well, we touched on this a little bit. I want to get into this a little deeper, but... uh, as we mentioned, Apple showed off a couple of features that didn't make it into the final release, um, Time Machine backing up to drives attached to an Airport Extreme base station, for example, and then that Stacks feature that Jason mentioned. Um, and then there seem to be some gaps in Automator, as, as you mentioned, Rob, and I've talked to some uh, folks who've created actions for Automator that don't seem to install properly, so that seems to be a problem. Um, so... Generally, what's your impression of how fully baked Leopard is? I mean, would Apple have benefited from, you know, finances and, and Steve looking bad aside, would it have helped to have another month so that maybe some of these features that looked like they were jettisoned at the last minute might have made it back in? Um, 
It's, it's an interesting question because, you know, as, as you wrote in your column, Chris, if you sort of look at this perspective of mom's operating system or, you know, ease of use, and I mean, most of the things that a typical user is going to experience, I mean, as cool as I think Automator is, I, I know that less than probably 10% of the people out there are actually going to try it and use it to do anything. So the fact that there's some issues in Automator probably won't affect my mother, you know, unless I'm right. trying to write a script for her. Now, if screen sharing was broken, um, you know, she would definitely feel that because we've already used it for tech support a couple of times. Um, so I, what I, my take on it is it definitely, to me, it feels like it's about 90% done, but it's almost like of that 10% that's unfinished, most of it seems to be the stuff that's not necessarily public and frontmost in the operating system. So to a, a typical user, it, it really does look pretty polished and seems to work pretty well. So, you know, would they benefit by more time? Certainly. But, uh, would they have paid for it in terms of bad publicity for a second slip on Leopard? And, you know, who knows where that would have gone? Yeah, I agree with you. I'd, I'd, although I have to say that looking at Leopard now and then looking at the last couple of OS X releases, this one seems to be showing holes more than, say, Tiger did or uh, the release before that. Uh, in our briefing with Apple, for example, you pointed out that when you're searching, uh, using Spotlight to search for uh, files by their size, there's no way to tell what those file sizes are, which just seemed goofy to me. You know, that apparently somebody was in a hurry and went, oh, oh, you might want to know that if you're searching by size. Or again, having features that are publicly announced, but app, but having them stripped out. I mean, normally, yes, you will have features sort of stripped out at the bottom that we knew nothing about. But these were kind of big deal features like, hey, look at this, check this. Oh, well, no, it's not actually working. Or people who complain that they purchased airport ex- extreme base stations for the sole purpose of being able to back up from multiple Macs and then finding out, oh, no, sorry, you can't do that after all. Yeah, it's – um. One other interesting note, uh, if you compare sort of when Apple publicly stated the availability date of 10.5 against 10.4, I, I think you get a sense of that kind of rush in that, uh, what was it, 10 days before ship date, they told us it was coming out. And mm-hmm. uh, for 10.4, it was 30 days. I mean, it was a full month ahead of time. So it, it definitely has the sense that they were, and, and they shipped it about as late in the month as you possibly could have. Um, so... Yeah, with, uh, while avoiding Halloween, I think was exactly something they definitely wanted to do. Um, so, has anybody had experience running Leopard on less than powerful Macs? And if so, how did it go? Do I have the lowest end one? I'm I'm running it on an original Intel Mini with the uh, I think the 1.83 gigahertz chip and the integrated graphics chipset. Um, and I I can't complain about the speed and anything. I haven't noticed it lagging. Uh, I don't know that it feels any faster than 10.4 felt, but it certainly doesn't feel any slower. And when you think about how many things they added to the system, I guess that's a pretty pretty good accomplishment. Yeah, I'm running on a G5, and I also have it um, on a Mac. Uh, no, sorry, PowerBook G4, 1.25 gigahertz. Oh, there you go. And it, that's the- yeah, it's it's pretty down there, and it runs okay, except somehow 512 megs of my RAM disappeared. But I, that may be the machine. It may not have anything to do with Leopard. <laughs> but it's um, it's serviceable. It's not the kind of thing that I would. I would want to use every day. You know, it's 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 not like old PC Windows slow, but you can definitely tell that it's it's kind of chugging along with this thing. But, and that's in contrast to Tiger, which worked better. Uh, you know, it was. I think my expectations were off because Leopard, um, I found on my faster machines, really is much faster. You can just sense it in the Finder. Things really tick along much better than they did, and I think we found that with every OS X release. However, uh, on this machine, no, it doesn't seem like it's sped up. But on the other hand, it, 
it hasn't slowed down a bunch either. And, and again, it may be that missing RAM. Uh, it it may also be a multi multi processing thing. I, I get the sense that um, that Leopard may be better because at, at using multiple cores than uh, previous OSs, just because Apple seems to have focused a lot on that stuff. And if that's the case, then any of these new Intel systems, with the exception of that core solo Mac Mini that they had when they first came out, I mean, they're all dual core at least, and uh, your PowerBook G4 is definitely not. So that might be some of it too, is that the speed boost is only something you see if you've got a multi-core system. Right. Now, Kelly, you're our graphics person on staff, and I just wanted to get your take on some of your favorite graphics improvements in Leopard. Yeah, they've done some really interesting stuff. I mean, Preview, which I think tends to go a bit unnoticed. I mean, it's just the program that things open in by default, um, and usually when you're not actually intending for that to happen. Um, but they've, I mean, they've added um, some features that you used to find in Photoshop, which I think is um, kind of interesting. There's a new image resizing tool that lets you set resolution and you know, you can upscale, which is the first time that, you know, anything in OS X could natively do that. Um, even iPhoto can't do that, actually, at the moment. Um, and you can mask out things. You can take out the background with using kind of like a magic wand tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can crop in all kinds of crazy shapes. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know how often people really need these tools, but I like that they're there. They've also done some really good uh, PDF stuff. You can merge multiple PDFs or delete pages in a PDF that someone sends you if you only really need one page of it. It's Yeah, I think that's useful because you're right. I, I often get these multi-page PDF files, and I only need the first page or something or the second page to comment on. And I can do that now instead of having to deal with this bulky document and then send the entire thing back to them. Right. Yeah, I think they did a really nice job with Preview. Yeah, good. Okay, and then Rob, you're the under the hood guy, and uh, what what wonders can be beheld by those people who actually are going to spend time in the terminal and and do some hacking around on Leopard? Well, I, I'm really just sort of starting to get into it, but a quick look indicates that there are something on the order of about 250 new or changed um, Unix programs hiding behind the hood. So. Uh, including an entirely new way of dealing with users and groups. So people like Dan Frake, who has a utility to change your short username, um, now have an entirely different way of going about things because there is no more net info uh, database, which is what we've had up until this point. So that's all been replaced, and there's a new uh, terminal front end to all of that. There are some interesting utilities, one for uh, one that actually makes it easier to speak in terminal uh, has been provided. You used to have to run an, uh, an Apple script at the command line, and now there's actually a Unix command that will speak whatever you type. So that's kind of interesting. It'll, it'll be intriguing to see what that gets, uh, what happens to that in programs that come out in the future. Um, they updated the, the Bash shell as a much newer version, so that you gain a lot of the features that the newer versions of Bash had. They, so, I mean, they, they paid a lot of attention, I think, to the, the Unix side of the thing. On uh, X11, which is a program used to run X11 applications, they've switched the actual graphics engine behind that program to a newer release. So I think there's a lot of good news on the Unix side, and obviously full 64-bit and dual-core support and all that uh, at the very low levels they've added. There's a new version of Xcode for programmers that, you know, to me looks mainly like French, but um, I've heard good things from those that are using it. So I think they really did a a nice job at sort of continuing to do what they've done, but uh, I don't remember in previous releases, you know, at least recent previous releases, this many new uh, terminal commands coming about in one fell swoop, so... It'll be interesting as we dig in and see exactly what all is in there. 
Yeah, I think that was one of the messages that was coming out to us at, at WWDC is they said, yes, we have these you know swoopy new features like time machine and spaces and this and that, but really we're doing a lot of work under the hood um, that maybe most people won't see, but is going to make OS X a better and finer operating system. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear you found some of that stuff in there. Okay, so to wrap it up, based on everyone's experience, and we're still just getting reports in from users now about how it's going for them, but is it time to update to Leopard? Should people be out rushing to install this, or is it worth waiting a while? Wow. Um, you know, it's – it's it, it, boy, it, that's a tough question. I, I think there's lots of stuff in there that is worthwhile, but if you don't have the need to go out and get it today, then, you know – there's no harm in waiting and seeing. I mean, anybody we're talking to who hasn't gotten it yet, they obviously didn't need to get it on day one. Um, you letting it shake out a little bit is not a bad thing. Um, you, there are applications out there that haven't been updated for Leopard or are only being updated now. Developers didn't see the final version of Leopard until users saw it. So, um, you know, unless you're confident that all the programs that you're using are uh, are all going to work fine. There's no harm in waiting and, and watching and maybe even seeing if some of the bugs get get squashed. I do think it's a worthy upgrade, but you know you you should always be careful. We we tend to jump in because that's our jobs to do that. And I was I was pretty happy with what what um, was compatible. Um, installing it a week before it came out, uh, a build that the developers didn't have was a little bit scary. And <laughs> as it turns out, you know most everything worked pretty well. And there were a couple apps that didn't work quite right, and some mail plugins that didn't work with the new version of mail. But generally, um, you know it's it's pretty solid. But then again, if you rely on a program to do your work and um, you're not sure whether it'll run or not, you ought to check before you before you take the, the plunge. Yeah, I, w- I would probably agree with Jason. It's it's if you didn't need it on Friday, you probably don't need it today. With that said, um, if you're one of those and you, if you take advantage of Spotlight in 10.4, they've made aside from the the issue Chris pointed out with the search results in the Finder, Spotlight itself has gotten much better in 10.5 to the point where I've switched, if you will, from disliking <laughs> to liking it. It's so and, it's not even funny how much better it is. It is like night oh, and day better. Exactly, night and day. It's faster and it's got more options in terms of finding exactly what you want to find. And then if you <laughs> couple that with Time Machine, you know those two upgrades right there, I think are worth the cost of entry. See, then forgive gotta, me, forgive me for laughing, Rob, uh, <laughs> but I do find it funny that all of you who bought Tiger because Spotlight sounded so cool just buy Leopard. <laughs> and it'll actually work. It's kind of kind of sad, but it Think is twice. True. They, get it once. <laughs> it, they have done it. They have have really um, well. To their credit, they actually did really dramatically improve it. They could have just some some Apple technologies get the spotlight. No pun intended for a while, and then they never get updated. Um, and Spotlight actually got updated and and became uh, much better than it used to be. So full credit for doing it. It's too bad it took until Leopard for that to happen. Now, Kelly, for, for the kind of people you write for, the graphics designers, uh, photographers, uh, the project builders, is this something you would recommend they jump to now, or is it wait-and-see time? Um, you know, I don't know if there's anything in here that's super essential for that crowd. I mean, you might want to wait and make sure that all of, you know, your programs work. Um, you know, I would say that if you – I'd be more excited about people who have multiple Macs that they have to um, – coordinate information with and maybe access stuff from different Macs. Um, if you have a .Mac account and you want to keep things synced, I mean, there's a lot in Leopard It may be worthwhile for you. For photo professionals, I don't know, I might wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Adobe has, has said 
this is what works. This kind of doesn't work. And then this doesn't work at all. Or I guess they said acrobat professional. It mostly works. And I've heard reports that it actually does work fine. But uh, once you get into the multimedia stuff like um, movies and uh, and sound, uh, Adobe is less sure that that kind of thing is going to work. Although the current version yeah. of Photoshop should be okay. If your job depends on these programs, it certainly doesn't hurt to wait until Apple has had a chance to kind of update the system and catch anything once, as long with Adobe or Quark or, you know, whatever you're using. Yeah, well, I think that's the watchword for, for all of us. You know, if, you're, if your work depends on, on getting your work done, maybe now is not the time to, to jump to Leopard or at least put it on a hard drive and then boot into that. But make sure you can boot back into Tiger into your regular uh, production environment now. And it's not like it's not like ten four was a bad operating system that was full of holes and security risks, and you know that that if you don't upgrade, you're in danger. I mean, it's about what two plus years of development behind it. It was rock solid, feature, you know, lots of features. So, no pressing need unless you like really like some of the brand new features in Leopard. Right. Well, it appears that Apple's not shy about uh, releasing updates. I think the day Tiger or sorry Leopard came out, there were. I don't know, five or six updates uh, to iLife, and then there was some keychain stuff as well. So uh, I think it's probably a good idea to wait a while and uh, and see what Apple comes up with, or as we said, you know, have a have some kind of backup so you can switch back to Tiger when you need to. So that takes care of this uh, roundtable about Leopard, and I'd like to thank my guest Jason Snell. Thank you, Rob Griffiths. Thank you, Chris and Kelly Turner. Thanks a lot. And now back to me. And I have a correction. In our last podcast, someone called in to leave a message to explain why they were not going to get an iPhone where others might have. I'm afraid that I absolutely butchered that person's name, so allow me to correct it now. His name is Robert Hazelrig, and you may know him from the My Mac and Mac Attack podcast. Robert, I apologize for the mispronunciation, and I'll never do it again, I promise. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld Podcast, sponsored by MYOB Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. I'd like to thank Dan Frakes, Jason Snell, Rob Griffiths, Kelly Turner, and, of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-520-9761. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, iPhone, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. Thanks very much for listening. See you next time.